And the title of the lesson today is Forgiven, question mark, or Forgiven, exclamation point. Now I've been seeing several things on Facebook about punctuation really makes a difference in how something is written, how something is perceived, and in this case, the question mark or the explanation point after forgiven makes all the difference in the world. Uh, I was asked, uh, are, are, these, are these your pots up here? You know, what, who, who brought those up here? And that's going to be part of our, our lesson today. There's, there's two black kettles. If you uh, haven't seen them, feel free to stand up and look. Uh, we, we have plenty of space. Nobody's going to uh, get in anybody else's way. But th there's two black kettles. And one black kettle, the oblong one, was my fam in my family's possessions when we moved to Stratford in 1961. Yeah, that was, that was a half more than a half century ago. 60 years ago, to be exact. Um, and it was used mostly for heating hot water. The house we moved to had no indoor plumbing. That meant no washing machine, no bathroom inside plumbing, no water at all. There wasn't even a well on the place. So for a while, we lived with that. And we'd haul water in. Uh, Mom would work all day, uh, all week at... Uh, at either Garment Factory or then later Zenith, but she, at the time she was working at the Garment Factory. Uh, she'd work all week, and on Saturdays it was laundry day. And, you know, you didn't do laundry every, every couple hours, you know, uh, but she would do laundry on Saturdays. So when the weather was nice, we'd go outside. She'd heat up some hot water over what today we call a fire pit, but back then it was just a, uh, a fire in the yard. Uh, to heat hot water with. Carry the hot water in the old, old ringer washer. Uh, some of you don't even know what a ringer washer is. Uh, Judy Campbell's here, she knows, and probably used one. Um, and then, you know, that, that's what the purpose of the pot was. It was mostly to heat water. Sometimes we did other things. We did other things for scalding, and sometimes chickens were involved, but you don't want to know about that. But, uh, you know, it was just a utilitarian thing we had to, to use what we had to get our work done. Uh, as, as wasn't too long till we got a well drilled, and so mom didn't have to heat the water outside anymore, so the pot kind of, it went to the, from the porch to the yard, and she'd put flowers in it. So it still had a purpose, still had a purpose. It was, you know, made things prettier. And some of you may have pots like that on your porch today with flowers in it, um, but over time, over time, it finally wound up out, out in the area in the yard, full of dirt to put flowers in, weathered, rusted, corroded, cracked. Uh, so after mom and dad were gone, I, I dug it out of the ground, dumped it out, brought it up to my place and put it in the barn. Something else put in my barn, uh, like Jan would say. The other pot, so, so the pot, I can't use it for anything now. It's pretty much it's pretty much not not able to be used for its intended purpose or any other purpose. You know, I might might haul it off to the metal place and get a few 
couple dollars for it, but it can't be used for its intended purpose. The other pot, on the, on the other hand, was, was my grandparents. Uh, my grandparents had a big house at the top of Main Street in Branson, a big white house, big white barn. Unfortunately, they didn't own it, they just rented it. So uh, when the Branson boom came, they were, they were already gone. But, uh, and I remember going down there, and that would be sitting outside with a fire under it. And it was usually used for garden stuff. They would do stuff, canning or whatever, get things ready for canning. Um, and, and they kept it in the barn. They kept it sheltered. They, kept, they took care of it. And then my uncle got it when they passed away. I bought it from his sale when he passed away. And it's been in our uh, attic, actually, for a while, probably 20 years. Um, but it's still, I dug it out. There's no holes in it. There's a little rust on the outside, none on the inside. I could still take that outside and start a fire under it and heat up water real hot if I wanted to. I could do a lot of other things with it, uh, but I probably won't since it's a family heirloom. These years later, it still can be used for its intended purpose. It's still good, so to speak. It's not, it's not available, ready for scrap. So that's part of the story. I'll get back to that a little bit later. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the act of pardoning an offender. In the Bible, the Greek word translated forgiveness literally means to let go. That's when a person does not demand payment for a debt or to let go of a, a hurt that, that someone caused you. Forgive them for it. We forgive others when we let go of resentment and give up any claim to be compensated for the hurt or loss we have suffered. The Bible teaches that unselfish love is the basis for true forgiveness, since love does not keep account of the injury. And that's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. So forgiveness starts with our relationship with Jesus Christ. So the first forgiven question mark is forgiven by Jesus, question mark. And that would relate to are you, have you been forgiven by Jesus? Are you going to be forgiven by Jesus? The Bible is a treasure book pointing us to Jesus Christ and explaining how we can be saved and have a personal relationship with him. Any lesson on forgiveness must include a discussion on the forgiveness God offers us through his son Jesus Christ. We cannot expect, give, we cannot expect to give or receive earthly forgiveness from people until we get things right with our Heavenly Father. Forgiveness is a person, not an act or event. Forgiveness is manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. How is that done? What does that mean? How, how, do we, how are we forgiven by Jesus Christ? Well, Romans, and, and why do we need to be? Romans 3.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I skip. 3.23 is, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. It's not just Charlie. It's not just Sean. It's not just anybody else in this room. It's not just me. I, I have. I admit it. But it's everybody. All mankind has sinned and come short of the glory of God. And 623 again say the wages of sin is death, 
but the gift of God is eternal life through, our, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in this, this world, we, we work for wages. We work a week, we work a month, whatever, and we get paid for our work. Um, and the wages of sin, what we get for our sin is death if we have not been forgiven. We work because we're saved. We don't work in order to be saved. So it doesn't matter how much work you do, you can be here every Sunday, every time the door's open, you can help everybody around you. It doesn't matter how much work you do, you know, how much is going to be enough. And that's not the plan. It's not the work you do. It's a relationship you have with Jesus Christ. And Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his love toward us, in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is similar to Jesus' healing of the paralytic in Matthew 9. Starting in verse 2, the Bible says, Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Arise and walk. And verse 6 then says, But that you may... Know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And that's how God demonstrated his love for us. He didn't just tell us. We don't have a book that just says, Well, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Because he knew that that wouldn't mean as much if we saw some action. I can tell Jan 20 times a day I love her. And if I don't help her do the dishes or, or do something to help her, those words are pretty meaningless, become meaningless. So aren't you glad God demonstrated his love and forgiveness for us rather than just saying it? And that demonstration was by giving his son Jesus Christ uh, to die for our sins. So question mark. Forgiven by Jesus, question mark. All of sin comes short. The wages is death. And God demonstrated that love toward us. How do we handle it? Is, is that still a question mark in your life? Are you forgiven? Have you accepted that free gift that God has given you? And we can go on to the other verses in Romans. And this is the forgiven by Jesus exclamation mark. Yes, forgiven. And how we do that. Paul goes on to say in this letter to the Romans, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Doesn't say you might be saved. He may decide you will be saved. For with a heart one believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's kind of a two-part process. And usually occurs about the same time or at the same time. Uh, you believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. And Romans 10:13 says, For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anybody that calls. The old hymn, Whosoever will may come. The whosoever, you, you can put your name in there. Whosoever calls on the name. If Mike calls on the name of the Lord, he will be saved. 
And I did that. I did that when I was 10 years old. It happens immediately. There's no 30-day waiting period. There's no free trial period. There's no approval by a church. There's no test to take. Just salvation, full and free. For you, it can be today, right here. If you've never accepted God's free gift of forgiveness and salvation before today, you can do it today. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. He shouldn't wait. So forgiveness, exclamation mark. We had a few technical difficulties. With, we got our new computer set up, but first thing we got, no one here knew the password into it because all the guys are gone that know the password to it. Uh, but if you've watched The Chosen, probably one of the best depictions of this is uh, Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And she can't figure out how he knows all these things about her. And he's, he's tired. He's weary. But he went there just to see her. He told her, I, I, went, I came just to see you. And she couldn't understand. And, and he forgives her. And she, what does she do after she's forgiven? She heads back into town to tell her family and tell everybody in town to come and see. And that should be our response. When God has saved us, when God has given us new life, we want to tell somebody. We want to tell our family. We want to tell our friends. Once we're forgiven by our Savior and we have Christ as our Savior and we have the Holy Spirit living in us, the next part is, is forgiveness to others. Now, here's, here's where it starts to, to come, come a little bit different for everybody. Uh, forgiveness granted to others. Once we've committed our lives to the Lord, we must consciously practice forgiveness to other people, not just to our family, our church family, friends and people we like, but to all we interact with. Yes, we should be forgiving to our coworkers. <laughs> do we have to do that? Our, our student friends at school, casual acquaintances, people who cut us off in traffic, <laughs> people who annoy us, people who try to dis destroy us. The Bible prov provides some specific guidelines on how to proceed. If you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I'll be reading now the New King James Version. It's called, kind of subtitled, the, the Parable of the Unforgiving Servant. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Peter was thinking, man, this, this is going to be tough. Do I have to give him at least seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Some interpretations say 77, but most, most interpretations say 70 times seven. So all, all the mathematicians in the crowd are like, okay, 70 times seven is 490. Okay, I got to forgive him 490 times, so I need to get me a spreadsheet out and says, okay, I'm going to start making a tick every time I have to forgive that person. That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying, it's too many times to count. You don't need to keep account. He said, make a, a number large enough that you would never, never get to it. You would never have to forgive somebody that many times. He goes on to say, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. 10,000 talents was, talent was a measure of weight, not, not, not necessarily a, a, a value. So it depended on what was being weighed as to how much a, a talent was worth. A talent of gold, uh, or 10,000 talents of gold back in those days, would probably be worth billions of dollars today. So it was, a, it was an astronomical amount this, that this man owed uh, his master. But as he's not able to pay, the master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all he had and the payment be made. And back then they had debtor's prisons and sold yourself or your family into slavery. The servant fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. And that's a big part of forgiveness is being moved with compassion. It's being moved with, with sometimes with pity on someone else, uh, taking pity on them, but mainly taking compassion uh, in order to forgive them. Okay, the guy had a huge debt he is never going to be able to pay, and the, and the master forgives it. You'd think he would be Mr. Happy, right? And Mr. Get Along With Everybody. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. Well, a denarii is, is probably about a half a, half a penny. And so he only owed him a hundred uh, denarii. So in relation to what this man owed the, his master... His servant owed him very little, very little. So you think, well, that, gladly he would just say, look what I've been forgiven. I, I'll, I'll let you off the hook too. But he would not and went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until you pay all that was due him. And in verse 35, my, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. We have been forgiven much. We've been forgiven all of our sins. Uh, there's no way we could ever have worked enough to pay off that debt. Yet, God forgave us, offered forgiveness to us through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on, on the cross. He, I say he offers it. He doesn't, he doesn't automatically forgive everybody's sins that have not trusted in him. They're, they're still, they, you still have to believe. You still have to believe. And if you don't, then... then you don't you don't see the benefits of that forgiveness. In Matthew six twelve and then fourteen through fifteen, this is out of the model we call it the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you not, do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So Jesus is being pretty specific here, saying, if you forgive others, Jesus will forgive you. Don't forgive others, he's not going to forgive you. 
Billy Graham writes in one of his prayer devotionals, almost every week someone writes me saying something like, I can't forgive. You don't know how deeply I've been hurt. Perhaps this echoes your thoughts. But nothing releases us from the past or opens the door to reconciliation as completely as forgiveness. Even if the other person refuses to admit any fault or scorns our forgiveness, that mustn't hold us back. Our duty is to forgive. The Bible is clear. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And that's Colossians 3.13. Did you notice that last phrase? God freely forgave us freely and fully in Christ. That's how we are to forgive others. Freely and fully. Maybe the hardest thing you ever do. But with God's help you can and you must. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And that's Ephesians 4.32. Do you know someone to whom it's difficult to be kind? Someone you don't like? Someone toward whom you have a bitter and unforgiving spirit? The life of a Christian should be an example of a, of a forgiving spirit. God's forgiveness of us, for Christ's sake, is our pattern. When he's forgiven us so much... How can we do less? The Holy Spirit provides the tenderness and kindness of Christ in our lives, and then we can forgive others as God and Christ forgives us. I think that's a, a big thing that's missing in our society today, is tenderness and kindness. Um, if you're on any kind of social media, you don't see very many tender and kind posts. Uh, they're, they're usually either comical, trying to make fun of somebody, or or downright hateful about other people. But the Holy Spirit can give us that tenderness and kindness that we need for forgiveness. One more passage here in the book. He still moves stones. Max Lucado writes, Bitterness is its own prison. The sides are slippery with resentment. A floor of muddy anger stills the feet. The stench of betrayal fills the air and stings the eyes. A cloud of self-pity blocks, blocks the view of the tiny exit above. Step in and look at the prisoners. Vis victims are chained to the walls, victims of betrayal, victims of abuse. The dungeon, dark and deep, is beckoning you to enter. You can, you know. You've experienced enough hurt. You can choose, like many, to chain yourself to your hurt. Or you can choose, like some, to put away your hurts before they become hate. How does God deal with your bitter heart? He reminds you that what you have is more important than what you don't have. Let me say that again. God reminds you that what you have is more important than what you don't have. You still have your relationship with God, and no one can take that away from you. Did you notice the words in Locato's text? Bitterness, resentment, anger, betrayal, self-pity, chains, victims, abuse, darkness. Is that what's in your heart and thoughts right now? Do you want to stay in that place? If so, why? Why? Given the chance, prison or freedom, choose freedom. Give them the chance of forgiveness and unforgiveness. 
Choose forgiveness. Give them the chance between love and hate. Choose love. You can break those chains and find release from the prison of unforgiveness by turning it all over to the Lord. Let him show you a better way, the way of forgiveness. Galatians 5, and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. If we practice the fruits of the Spirit, we're going to practice forgiveness. If we allow the fruits of the Spirit to control our relationships with other people, we'll practice forgiveness. You may be sitting there thinking, you have no idea what this other person has done to me. You have no idea what I've been through. I can't possibly forgive them. No, I, I don't. I don't know what you're dealing with, unless, unless you've told me. But no, I don't know. I don't know uh, what some people deal with. I know it's, some of it just is beyond my imagination what some people have to deal with. I know some people have had to deal this week with uh, death, uh, uh, disease, uh, ongoing disease of treatments and, and different things. I don't know what. I don't know how someone has hurt you. Uh, and maybe I've, I've done that at times. I've, I've hurt people, sometimes aware, sometimes deliberately, and sometimes not. But I know I can't stay in that place. Um, you know, uh, there's a book called The Hiding Place, uh, way back from a long time ago, Corrie Ten Boom. And it was a story about Corrie and her family had a hiding place for Jews um, in World War II. And, and they, they found it, and they got shipped off to uh, concentration camps. Uh, her father died in the camp, and her, her sister wound up dying. She and her sister uh, were in the same place, but her sister wound up getting sick and dying before they released her. Corey herself got released through some kind of clerical error. She wasn't supposed to be released. She was supposed to be killed the next day or two uh, in the in the gas chambers or whatever they were killing people with. But she remembered all those times. Just think about just think about that. Just think about what you would have to deal with had someone done that to you. Uh, had killed your sister, and maybe someone has. I, I apologize for not knowing that, you know, some of your, your circumstances, so I don't want to glibly say, well, you just need to forgive them, you know, because it didn't happen to me. But for her case, uh, she was on a speaking tour. This man came up to her, held out his hand, and he said, I was one of the guards in your concentration camp, and she recognized him. He said, would you please forgive me? And it took all she had, but she did. And she said that made the difference in her testimony from then on, that she was able to forgive uh, those people that had hurt them and killed them. Um, so, no, I don't know. Uh, some of you have relationships at home. Some have relationships at school. But whatever they are, 
you need the help of the Holy Spirit uh, to get through them. You, you, can't, you can't forgive on your own, on your own power, on your own mental strength, in your own mind. You can't do it. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and our example in that, uh, just think about God himself and his son Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus into the world to die for our sins. But part of that dying was their process in the dying. And that's when they arrested him and, and gave him an unjust trial, beat him, scourged him, um, and then hung him on a cross to be crucified until he died. In that process, he could have called legions of angels down to get him off that cross and not have to go through that pain. He could have done that. But as this song goes when he was on the cross I was on his mind he had on his mind all these people that he was being the sacrifice for and so he stayed there and endured the pain and what did he do did he berate them from the cross no he said father forgive them for they know not what they do he didn't know most of these people individually he said father forgive them for they don't know what they do. And sometimes we just have to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. Forgiveness is a process. Oh, Jesus found in his heart to offer us forgiveness even though we don't deserve it. Forgiveness is a process that might, must be guided by the Holy Spirit. It may not always happen immediately or overnight. It can take days, months, or years for complete healing. But it's worth it. It's worth it for you. Uh, even, if, you know, even if it makes no difference to the person you're forgiving, it, it's, uh, it's worth it for you. Uh, you may never get an apology from someone. You may never have a chance to tell your mom or dad you're sorry for something. They may, they may have never had a chance to tell you that. But you can still forgive them. You can still forgive them. You know, I, I told my small group and probably some of you others in here that my dad and I didn't, didn't always have a great relationship. Didn't usually have a great relationship when I was growing up. Uh, we were different, different in every way. Uh, he liked to hunt and fish and run around on the weekends. And um, I didn't, I liked to play basketball and baseball and, and do sports things and read books. And so we were just different. Uh, there were a few years of his life that he was a drunk, and he would be gone all weekend, or he'd be drinking at home. And that was, I, I made the decision myself then, w with the Lord's help, that when I was growing up, I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to treat my family that way. And it took years. You know, I said I was I was a Christian teenager, a Christian, early, young married, and I always said, you know, I forgave him, but. I think it was more lip service than anything else, like because that's what I was supposed to do as a Christian, you know. So I'd say I forgive him, but it really didn't wasn't that close to him. Well, after lo and behold, uh, when they got older, mom passed away first. Dad had been sick for years and years and years, so we always assumed he would be first. He would go first, and we get some quality time with my mother that we hadn't had, but she went first. And dad couldn't live by himself, so we had to find a place for him to live. He couldn't live with us because he wasn't, he wasn't physically able to. 
But uh, so for four years, I kind of had to take care of my dad and Jan too. When I say I'm doing this stuff, it's it's both of us. You all know that. But uh, she's always so good to to take take care of anybody. But for four years, and somewhere in that process, I said, Lord, why? And, and Dad was really sick. I mean, he was in a lot of pain all the time. I said, why are you keeping him here? Why, why did you let him stay and take Mom? Why is he still here? Why can't he go on home? My dad was saved when he was 81 years old. 81. God was gracious enough to allow him. He should have died probably when he was 54. He should have died when he was 65. I mean, there's several times that incidents. He had a lawnmower roll over him off of a bank one day, a riding lawnmower. He should have died then. He had a dog attack him, and I had to take him to the emergency room. All these times he should have died and didn't. And I asked God, you know, why? Why did he do that? This is the part I can't probably get through, but finally one day I was reading something or listening to music or something, and God told me, I did it for you. I did it so you could forgive him and mean it and have some time with him. And after that, one of the big events, there were two two events in that time where he was at. They would take people to the ball games. He never wanted to go ball game, but they had a a big box up for Springfield Cardinals. And so he asked me to go a ball game with him. So he was in his 80s the first time that he took his son to a ball game. But he he got to do it. We got to do it. And then one day I walked in. Jan, I got him a Bible for the Christmas year before. And he, I don't think he knew much about where anything was in the Bible. And I walked in and he was reading his Bible. And it's just like, I went home and told Jan, I said, I never thought I'd see that. But he did. So forgiveness, it's its never too late until it's too late. And it, and the person that you may have a relationship with that, that needs a forgiving touch, either from them or from you, may not live to be 81 years old. They uh, may, He lived to be 86 years old, but may not live to be 81 to be saved. So I, I thank the Lord he was able to show me a path to forgiveness there with my dad. We have, we have some friends visiting with today, Harvey and Barbara Freeman. If you get a chance, say hi to them after service. Uh, Harvey and I were neighbors. Harvey's the first, probably the first person I met when we moved to Stratford, right, right next door. Probably the smoke from our our, our uh, wood pile burning under the kettle was blew over into his house, but um, and and Harvey already liked my parents and and I liked his and we we had a lot of a lot of good times growing up and and I, I appreciate Harvey and Barbara being with us today. So forgiven or unforgiven, it comes down to what is what is your punctuation mark? Is it a question mark? The last part of forgiveness is, and this will be quick, is forgiving me. Each person saying, forgiving me. Yes, you do need to forgive other people how they've 
things that they have done to hurt you or, or whatever they've done. But you need to forgive yourself, too. There's times we do mess up. I, I mess up, I know. Lisa can't believe it, but, but I mess up. And I'm, I'm hard on myself. I'm, I'm harder on myself than I am anybody else. And I think one of the biggest problems of, of that is, is perfection. One of the biggest issues we have are people who are perfectionists, which I tend to be. I want everything done right. I want it done on time. I want it done a certain way, which is never the same way as Jen wants it done. Uh, so we, but uh, perfection can be a big stumbling block to forgiving yourself. But you need to. You need, you need to do that. Basically, when Jesus says uh, forgive others, he's talking about forgiving yourself too. If you can't forgive yourself, you probably aren't going to do well at forgiving others. Okay, that then brings us back. I'm, I'm going to cut it off a little bit early this week because this guy that's coming next week, he is elite, yes, and he is long-winded too. But you will be, you will learn, you will be entertained. <laughs> he is elite, like, I, like he said. A few years ago I heard a saying at a funeral that has stuck with me. Hatred corrodes the container it's carried in. Hatred corrodes the container it's carried in. I thought, boy, that's, that's pretty good. I wonder, wonder what the scripture reference is on that. Uh, it's not a scripture. It's, a, it's an old Chinese proverb, actually. So, um, But in the case of forgiveness, how true the saying is. Harboring bitterness, resentment, anger, betrayal, jealousy, self-pity... Abusive behavior, darkness in one's heart, leads to hatred toward others, and sometimes hatred toward God. The container of the heart starts to corrode and harden. It develops emotional cracks, which left unaltered will lead to a lifetime of separation from God and others. So just like the, the oblong kettle, the one that's ready to be thrown out if something's not done to it, your heart can get in that same way. Your heart can get so corroded with hatred that it, that it can't see anything else. It can't see love. It can't see uh, the love, joy, patience, those things from the fruit of the Spirit. And our container becomes hard and resistant to God's planned use. So just like I can't use that other kettle over there anymore, if I let hatred corrode my heart, God's not going to be able to use me. My container's going to be too rusty, too whatever. So is your container starting to corrode such that unforgiveness is becoming an acceptable part of your life? It doesn't have to be that way. Uh, you don't have to be thrown on the scrap heap just because... You didn't offer somebody forgiveness. There are ways I'm sure somebody could repair that cast iron kettle and make it functional for crafts or something. Um, somebody could take the time to do that. If, you're, if your heart has been hardened by life, it um, doesn't mean it has to stay that way. 
you may have lost a loved one, you may have um, had a relationship uh, go bad, um, you may have, again, you may have a disease, you may have something you're dealing with that you just say, why, Lord, why me? And turn that into hatred for God instead of into love and, and letting him guide you through it. Have you thought or done something hurtful to someone else? Need to ask their forgiveness? What would it take to restore a family relationship or friendship? What would it take? Ask the Lord. Take it to the Lord today and ask him. Let the Holy Spirit guide you to a path of forgiveness given or forgiveness received. Forgiven exclamation point. There's no question. Maybe the Lord is wanting you to take the first step, and then he'll take it from there. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9.